When um, I heard what the passage was going to be today, um, I had quite a strong reaction to it. And when I read it, I had an even stronger reaction. And to be honest, it wasn't one of warmth and joy. And at that point, I thought, I've got two choices here. I can either try and get out of it. So I can say um, to Roger, oh, did you say the sixth? It is the sixth today, isn't it? Yeah. Did you did you say the sixth? I'm pretty sure I'm going to be ill on that day. I think I need to um, choose another day. And by the way, does that mean that you know I get another passage, maybe, or maybe I could have said um, sent Roger a message and said, "You do know you messaged Maria. Did you not mean to message David Herring? Is it you know have you got the right person?" Or I could have said. Yeah, no problem. Of course I can speak on this passage where it appears that Jesus completely ignores a desperate mother and then insults her before finally healing her daughter. No problem. Well, obviously, I did say that I would speak today, um, but without the added bits that I, that I just added because um, I didn't think it was easy. And I didn't decide to speak today um, because... I've got great faith in being a Bible scholar because I don't and and I'm not. Not because um, I've got great faith in being able to deliver a sermon because I don't. And in actual fact, a, a few weeks before, an internal dialogue starts which goes something like, what were you thinking? Why did you say yes? How stupid are you going to look when you stand up and... You know, and you've got nothing to say. And to top it all, it's being live streamed and it's going on YouTube. <laughs> but it was because I have faith in the person of Jesus. And the older I get, the more I realise that actually things are not always quite as they seem. It's easy to take things at face value, isn't it? And um, I think when I spoke before, we mentioned how the brain likes to make sense of things how it sees what it sees and um, processes that through our past experience and how that can become our truth. And if we're not careful, we can then mistake it for the truth, causing us to misinterpret things in life as well as things in the Bible. And this is how we get different accounts of people who witness the same event. And this is why we're going to read Matthew's account in a moment, as well as Peter's account, which is what we read in Mark. So with my curious head on, I dusted off my concordance. I got out the Thompson chain reference, which I've had for 35 years. And to be honest, I'm still not really sure how to use properly. Um, I went on YouTube, I listened to what other people had to say, and it was from that point that I looked at, okay, what am I going to bring to you today? Spoiler alert, there is more to this than meets the eye. So let's read Matthew's account. So Matthew 15, um, from verse 21, it says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon, A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, she keeps crying out after us. He answered, 
I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request has been granted and your daughter was he- sorry, and her daughter was healed that very hour. So this morning we're going to look at the context because I think that's really important. We're going to unpack the interaction that happens here and then we are going to see what that might mean for you and for me. So Jesus spent most of his time in Israel and it was busy. Mark is known as the gospel that basically tells us what Jesus did. Um, And he did a lot. But it wasn't just Jesus who had been busy. The disciples had been really busy also. And Chris talked a bit about that last week. Jesus kept trying to find a place for them to rest. But wherever they went, the crowds followed. And time and time again, it says that he had compassion on them. He healed them. He fed them. He taught them. So they went outside the um, outside of Israel to a place called Phoenicia, and they went to the town of Tyre. And let's just say that that town was not the kind of place that you would expect a Jewish rabbi and his students to hang out. Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry here. He's starting to prepare the disciples and maybe himself also for what was to come. And in the next chapter, he actually predicts his death for the first time. So they enter this house and verse 24 tells us that he wanted to keep his presence a secret, but not why. Maybe he was just exhausted They were just exhausted. I don't know if you know the book Five Minutes Peace, where Mrs. Large, the elephant, is trying to get ready for a night out and the children won't leave her alone. Maybe it was a bit like that. Maybe he wanted to concentrate on the disciples. We don't know why, but into this comes this woman, We know that she's from the area and that she isn't Jewish. And like the woman that Tabitha talked about last time who touched the edge of Jesus' cloak, she would not normally have approached a Jewish rabbi. She was a mother. She was desperate that her daughter be healed. And if any of us have been close to somebody who is suffering in some way, it's quite easy for us to have empathy for this woman, to maybe understand how she was feeling. So Jesus' response to her feels a bit confusing. So let's take a closer look. Let's look at the interaction that happens here. Matthew's account tells us that the woman approached Jesus. She fell fell at his feet and said, Lord, son of David... Have mercy on me. She called him Lord, son of David. This was the Jewish term for the Messiah. The one talked about in the Old Testament who would come and save the world. The Jews who knew the teachings hadn't recognised Jesus as the Messiah. 
And I'm not sure that the disciples knew at this time, because in chapter 8, Jesus says to them, who do people say I am? And then who do you say I am? And it might just be me, but I'm not sure if he would have asked that question if it was known, if, you know, if, if he knew that they knew who he was, if that makes sense. Um, and it's, it's Peter who says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus' response to that is, it's Father in heaven who has told you this and don't tell anybody. Yet this woman knew, she called him by his proper title and she fell at his feet and said, have mercy on me. She doesn't say, look, I've seen you going around healing people. You really need to come and heal my daughter. She doesn't say, um, excuse me, hello, I'm talking to you. Can you please respond to me in some way? There's nothing in her demeanor or approach of entitlement or pride. And yet it seems that Jesus didn't respond to her. Now, some say that Jesus was drawing out great faith from her. And others say that maybe he's showing the disciples here what great faith and and patience and perseverance looks like because they didn't always have it. And in the months and years to come, they were going to need it. Part of me wonders if if he was giving the disciples a chance to step up here. I mean, Chris mentioned it last week, and in two chapters earlier, we read that he had given them authority They had been out, they had been healing, they'd been casting out demons. And yet, we're not told here that they, that they say to Jesus, shall we go? Or, you know, that they ask him why he's not responding to her, which seems so out of character for him. I mean, maybe there's something we're not told here, and, and we don't know. But they seem to just say to him, send her away. She's irritating us. And Jesus' response in Matthew is, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Mark records it slightly differently, but the meaning is the same. First, let the children eat all they want. And the children here are the children of Israel, the Jews. You see, there was a plan from the beginning. Jesus wasn't winging it. There were certain places he needed to go. There were certain things he needed to do in order to fulfill the prophecies of the past and in the Old Testament. The gift of forgiveness for everything we've done wrong, freedom from fear, and the promise of eternal life is for everyone. It was always meant to be for everyone, but it was going to come from the Jewish nation. Jesus was Jewish. He needed to be rejected by the Jewish people of the, well, by the religious leaders of the day. He needed to die on the cross and three days later he needed to come back to life. And that had to happen in order for the non-Jewish people, for us, to be offered this gift of life, his life for ours. More precisely, the, the um, disciples were going to have to step up very soon. We don't know 100% that they, at that time, understood exactly who he was and what they were being trained for. And this is Jesus' last year on earth. I might have been tempted to say, woman, do you see what I have to work with? 
These guys are going to have to do some pretty heavy stuff soon and they have no idea. I have got to concentrate on them. But what he goes on to say is, for it is not right for the children's bread to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Wow, that seems a little shocking and goes against my image of how I would imagine Jesus to respond. Yet this woman is not offended. Let's explore why that might have been. I think here we see an example of the inadequacy of the English language to translate accurately the meaning of the original Greek. It was common of the day for the Jews to call the pagans, so basically the non-Jewish people around them who worshipped idols, um, dogs. Most cultures have derogatory terms for people who are different than them. And in this country, more recently, we've been trying to move away from using those terms. They can be incredibly offensive, can't they? Now, the Jewish people, the, the, term that they, the word that they use, the Greek word for the word dog... And before I go on, I just apologise in advance. I spent quite a while on YouTube last night trying to learn how to say these words. (laughs) The first one is easier. The second one, I don't think it's going to be close, but I'm going to have a go, okay? Um, So this one is just Q on, which I think I can get, but somebody may say different, um, which means big dog. And it referred to um, the feral dogs, that were around at the time. They moved in packs, they scavenged, they were a real nuisance. Um, If Jesus had used this word to this woman, she would have understood it because it was a common phrase at the time. But that is not the word that he uses. He uses the word canarianos-ish, which means little dog. Or puppy even. Now, at the time, it was common to have these little dogs in the home. They were domesticated, maybe not quite as we have our pet dogs today. But importantly, they were included inside the home. They were not excluded to live outside. And they would have eaten the scraps that fell off the table at mealtimes. Now, if you've seen children eat, and maybe some adults... Often food ends up on the floor. And if you know about dogs or you have a dog, you will know that they love food. Now, in every household, there may be different rules for where the dogs sit um, at mealtimes. They may sit looking at the softest member of the family with pleading eyes. Please feed me. That looks delicious. Things like that going on in their head. And you may be able to resist that and you may not. They may sit under the table and casually try to stretch out their tongue as long as they, far as they can to like get the odd crumb until maybe you are given or they're given the go ahead. Yes, it's now okay to eat. And even if they're in their bed pretending to be asleep, as soon as they're given the command, yep, you can come and have that food. They will be there like a shot. And this woman knew that. 
And she said, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, whether she was responding to that word, canarianos, or whether she understood the bigger picture here, we don't know. But either way, Jesus was impressed with her. He was impressed with her answer. He was impressed with her faith. And he was impressed with her perseverance. And he says, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And it had. We've looked at the culture of the day and how words are used differently in different cultures. And actually the meaning of words can change over time, can't they? And in our own society, for instance, some of the meaning of the words that are used today are different than maybe some of us are used to. So I am reliably informed that sick now means good, Uh, peak means bad, mad is amazing, and bear means a lot. Who knew? (laughs) Um, We have an idea of where Jesus is in his ministry and what's happening in the run-up of this snapshotting time that we are looking at now. And actually also, John the Baptist had been beheaded, so I would imagine that Jesus was also grieving. Now we're going to look at how this may apply to us today. A lot of what I read and listened to spoke to the faith of this woman, spoke about the faith of this woman. And there's no denying that if she hadn't have spoken to Jesus, if she hadn't have asked and asked, and asked, and asked, maybe her daughter wouldn't have been healed. I don't feel, though, this morning that that is the thing that really spoke to me from this passage. But it may be remiss of me to ignore the obvious. So if you don't ask, ask. In Philippians, we read, in all things through prayer and petition and thanksgiving, Make your requests known to the Lord. Now, I have said quite a few pleading prayers in my life, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes that's where we're at. Sometimes that's all we can manage. That's okay. But if we only focus on our own circumstances, if we only focus on what we can see, what we can hear, what we're experiencing, it's really hard to have faith. A little while ago, I wrote down some of the promises in the Bible that spoke into a particular situation. And um, I, I brought them into the prayer, declaring them, thanking God for them. Even though I didn't believe them at that time, and that was hard for me to trust in him at that time, because he had said it, because it was his word, I knew it was truth. And a funny thing happened... It started to change my perspective and my faith started to grow. What we think, what we say, what we focus on, it does affect how we feel. But there is another layer here. There is power in the word of God. And the more we speak it, not only the more do we believe it, But also, Satan cannot stand against the word of God. 
It's not only a powerful weapon in the things that we struggle with, but it's also what Jesus used against him when he was on earth. So if you tend to ask God for something once and then don't ask again, maybe try keep asking. We are not entitled to demand things from God. But Psalm 103 tells us that he is merciful and gracious. And time and time again, we see in the Gospels, he had compassion and was moved. Jesus doesn't promise to do everything that we ask him to do. He doesn't always change situations that are difficult for us and difficult to bear. But he does promise to never leave us. And he promises to help us face whatever comes our way. So in order to get to the thing that I most took from this passage or that touched me most about this passage, we need to let all the noise fall away. And we need to think about what may have been happening in the quiet. Many of us will have found ourselves in a time when we felt broken, desperate, crying out to God. I know I have. In fact, we may feel like that right now. And it can feel like God doesn't hear us and that he doesn't care, that he's doing nothing. And it can feel terrifying and lonely. The disciples asked Jesus to send the woman away, but he doesn't. And he doesn't withdraw from her. He may have been silent, but he was present. He was still listening. He was still allowing her to pour out her heart. Now, in my experience, it can be very cathartic and very healing to be able to just get it all out without interruption. And certainly in the counselling room, there is often a pouring out. There is often a sitting with the pain before there can be the processing and the moving on. We don't know how long this woman's daughter had been suffering. We don't know what else she had tried. Certainly in the region that she lived in, there were lots of of gods around, lots of idols that were worshipped. And they would all have had different things that you needed to do in order to try and get them to find favour and have favour on you. And a major one being Baal, who we... um, hear about in the Old Testament. My guess is that she would have done everything she could think of. When we have times, especially extended times, of emotional overwhelm and high levels of stress, it takes its toll. And there have been many studies about how it not only affects our mood and outlook, but also our physical bodies and the makeup of our brains even. And this woman is an example of faith and perseverance. She doesn't give up. She doesn't kick off. She doesn't demand. She just continues to ask. But I also wonder if she was exhausted and what that time away 
on her knees gave her. Maybe it enabled her to gain strength. Do you know, maybe in the pouring out, maybe in the waiting, there was the beginnings there of her own healing from her own pain. Desperation for her daughter had brought her into Jesus' presence. But it was her that was there. And when we are in Jesus' presence, he sees us and he knows what we need. I find it hard to, to get a balance sometimes. I don't know if you're the same. Sometimes our own needs can feel so overwhelming that we can see nothing else and concentrate on nothing else. And sometimes the needs of other people can be so overwhelming and so loud. The world can be so loud that actually we lose track of our own needs. And for some of us, maybe our own needs have never been a consideration because other people have never considered us. Maybe we felt unseen, unheard, unimportant and uncared for. And whichever position we find ourselves in, make no mistake... God sees us. He sees you. He has compassion on you. He longs to pour out his love on you. To give you peace for your mind, rest for your soul, and joy for your heart. Despite your situation. Where can we find this? Where can we get it? In his presence. In the quiet place. Maybe a pouring out, maybe a venting of our frustrations and our fears and our disappointments. Maybe sharing in our hopes, our dreams or our sadnesses. Maybe reading the Bible and asking him to show us things. Or maybe it's just in the quiet, not saying anything, just sitting with him. And maybe in that quiet place, You will hear him whispering to you or he might show you something in the Bible that, you know, is amazing. I mean, some of my most precious verses that I value and I wouldn't want to be without have come to me in the really hard times. But even if you hear nothing, it doesn't mean that he's not there. Or that he isn't thrilled to be sitting with you. So yes, ask. Yes, keep asking. But if you don't see change, it doesn't mean that he doesn't hear you. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care or that he's punishing you in some way. It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong, that you're using the wrong words or you're not asking him enough or any of those things. (laughs) It is said... I'm told, because I don't really read instructions, that they often contain these words. For best results, follow the maker's instructions. We were made by him for union with him. We were not designed to have the the weight of the world on our shoulders. And we don't need to. Wherever you are, physically or metaphorically, God is there. He is listening and he cares. Your situation may not change 
or it may be changing so slowly that you can't see it changing. Or you might ask and he might answer you instantly. But whichever that is, there is a bigger picture. There are so many things we can't see, so many things we don't understand. And it can be difficult to trust God at those times, especially if we've been let down by the people in our lives. Psalm 118 says it is better to take refuge in God than to trust in man. We can have faith in the person of Jesus. So try it. Ask and keep asking. Just don't do it from a distance. Allow him to come close to you and rest in him while you wait. Thank you so much, Maria, for what you've shared. I think where there's been the encouragement to be still, I know I for one need that. And it'd be all too easy, particularly if you're sat at home watching this right now, to think, oh, it's the time to go to the loo or to get myself a biscuit or whatever. Let's be still. We're not going to rush into our next bit. There's been a lot that Maria has unpacked for us. And maybe in that stillness, in that quietness, there can be the presenting of your own request. Oh, but I've done that over and over. Why not do it again? Maybe there's something deep down that's a a request and a longing that you've got that you're unsure or unaware of exactly what that is. Maybe give yourself that time and that space, as we're going to do here as well, to allow God by his spirit to bring that to mind. There is power in his word. There's been the encouragement to keep going. Why? Because this, this God that we're seeking to create space for is the one who sees and knows exactly what you, what we are feeling right now. doesn't matter what other people are feeling or thinking. It's about you and him. So let's just be still where we are as we sit in his presence, as we try to block out whatever noise or distraction may well be around us.